Hey, everybody, it's Renee Witterstatter from Eva Inc. Publishing, Pros and Cons, Celebrity Booking, uh, Marvel Editor on She-Hulk, and you are listening to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. My name is Ian Taylor, and you are listening to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast, your weekly digest of hobby goodness, brought to you by the Marvel Cards Fan Collective, an awesome community of card collectors and creators. You can find our two groups on Facebook, details of which are at the end of this podcast, so come check us out. With me, as always, is my co-pilot on all things Marvel Cards. Here's physical proof, as if any were needed, that we truly are living in a Marvel age of wonders. It's Norin Rad. That was real. That's that. Yes, that, that is lovely. Nice. <laughs> yeah, my ego is like bursting at the seams. This is crazy. This is too much for me. Well, that's kind of the idea. I mean, I, they, these always used to be, um, uh, Rene. Just so you know, I always, I always, every week that changes, and I always used to fluff up his ego. But for the last few months, I've just been throwing in like sly little, sly little. It's been dark, him. dark times. Yeah, so great radio bridge. voice that you have. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I had to rent it. this place yeah. out. I'm not doing too well from it. So <laughs> usually brown bags for me. But so, it's okay. I thought I'd lift it again. I thought I'd lift it it's again. It's nice. I feel like I can re-enter society. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Good. Good. Um, we do have a guest this week, folks. I will, I will, I will, I will properly introduce you in a moment, uh, Renee, as, as, as best as I can. Um, but before we get into it, we did very briefly talk about the fact that, Renee, you were supposed to be in London this weekend. I was. I was supposed to be in the UK. In the UK, right. Yes. Okay. For a show, and, and it was sadly cancelled. So I would have already been in, in the UK, and I, mm. I would have certainly taken the train to London to, mm. to pay my respects mm. you you know, and, during this time. I was a big admirer of the Queen. Yeah, you, you, well, you and millions of others in terms of the going to London and the admirer. I mean, what an amazing uh, woman and an amazing role model. Mm. No, I think, I think for all of us, you know, yeah. for her sense of duty. Mm. Absolutely. I'm, um, it's such a weird experience at the moment. Uh, it's, it's kind of what I wanted to touch on it. And, and this, this episode will be out on Thursday. So we'll still be in the, 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 the official morning period. So this will be sure. relatively fresh to people, but it's, I was reading, I was reading the newspaper this morning and there was a stat in there that I found fascinating. I think it's 91% of people living in the UK, born in the UK, were born during the Queen's reign, Queen Elizabeth II. That is amazing. Wow. She's been on the throne for so long. And she's certainly, obviously, the only queen that, that we have ever known. And yeah. I know she was the queen of, of, of the United Kingdom, but, uh, you know, we... Also, in different parts of the world, felt like, like she was our queen, too. Mm, mm. Um, you know, she was such a symbol of how to reinvent yourself, how to stay relevant, how to do it with dignity and mm. style. Mm. And, you know, maintain also some sense of personal life, living such a very public life. Yeah. Um, and I and being in the industry I am in, uh on some minor degree, certainly not like uh, Her Majesty, but we deal with that a little bit too. You know, you balance your personal life with your role as 
you know, a public figure or a creator. Mm. And what do you share and what do you not share? You know, you always want to keep something for yourself that's yeah. just for you. Yeah. And imagine the scale that she had to do that on. Yeah. And I just, I just, I have always just admired her grace and her, her dignity. Yeah. And her commitment to, to, um, you know, doing right and serving her people. I just, you know, we may never see her like again, you know, to think about the changes that happened in her lifetime. Mm. When she became queen, people were, you know, it was the telegraph age. And now we are in this multimedia internet age um, you know, it's just just to imagine I have an, an aunt who's 96 and I talk to her about this frequently, just the changes that have happened in this short period of time. Yeah. And to be witness to that. Yeah. You know, I wish the queen in some ways was was someone who would have you know wrote a book about this because just the things she has seen and the people she knew. Mm. You know, it, it's like ancient history to us, but to her, it was her life. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, there's so many wonderful stories. I mean, I don't know. Over here, it's everything at the moment. Everything's just stopped because we are, what, 48 hours as we record since uh, right. uh, she passed. So um, uh, it's absolutely wall-to-wall at the moment, and it's like nothing else is going on. There's no sport this weekend. Loads of public events being cancelled. London is going to be full within a few Oh, days. yes. Uh, once she lies in state, it's going to be... Sure. Um, I, I did read an interesting thing where, where in we, um, cause one of our clients that I work for a marketing agency and one of our clients has got a PR agency and they sent around the official kind of PR guidance that comes out from the government and from the palace. And it was updated last year to take into account as to what would happen over the 10 days of, of mourning leading up to a funeral. Right. And the worst case scenario is that London literally gets too full. Mm. <laughs> because in 1952, and this is this is obviously, you know, London was a lot smaller then. There were a lot few, fewer people around and travel wasn't necessarily as easy. 305,000 people queued to see the king, the queen's father's coffin sure. as it was lying in state. So think about how many of that could be this time, because there's going to be a four-day oh, yes. period. It's like literally 23 out of 24 hours a day where people can go and see the coffin. It's going to be crazy. Well, I'm sure people will be queuing up for hours. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fighting the urge to get on a plane. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in New York. I can get to London as easily as I can get to California. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and part of me is like, oh, I should go, but then the logistics of what you're saying too, there are going to be yeah. hundreds of thousands of people yeah. there. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy, but you know, deservedly so. Deservedly so. Deservedly so. Yes. Um, it was did... so sudden. I think that the shock of how sudden it was yeah. is. Also, it's not like we did not expect that she would well, pass sometime, no, no. but not so sudden. I mean, just a, a day ago, before she was, um, was talking the to the minister. new prime minister. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's 15. Right. Yeah. It is, it is, it is crazy. My, I mean, my daughter's just, just turned seven. Um, and we told her and even, you know, she was upset because she oh, was, yeah. you know, because she was like, it's the queen, you know, it's like a, a figurehead for her. Um, but then. Well, my condolences to all of you there. You know, yeah, my, my thank heart, you, my thank you. Are, are with you all. Well, we watched. Um, we watched the. Um, I, I showed my daughter this morning. I showed her uh, now King Charles the Third mm. his uh, televised address last night, and we watched it. 
And then someone sent me the most incredible meme. It was a picture of Prince, Prince Charles as he was then holding a guitar. I saw and, that today. And the slogan was, yeah, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yes. <laughs> just made me think. That's probably why I made my oh, Prince so joke before we got on camera. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, Renee, uh, uh, half the people have probably figured out who you are. Half of them probably haven't. So I'm, I, was, I was grappling with how to introduce you. Um, I, we go two routes with guests. We either ask them to introduce themselves, or we, if we know them well enough, we we look, you know, we we write something up. Now, Give it a go. I'm, well, I'm hoping that you're going to allow me to cheat because in in kind of I was I was a you know I've been aware of your kind of work from you know Marvel Age and yeah. various other uh, books. Um, and not so much what you what you've done since then. Obviously, I've, I've I've read up on that, and there's so much there. There's so much there. I'm going to cheat a little bit, if you don't mind, and read the official blurb that was on the Boston Fan Expo website because I'm assuming this is official copy that probably. Well, let's hope here. it's accurate. I didn't let's, even read it, so. You know what? <laughs> let's dive in. So um, now I'm going to try and do your surname, which we practiced before all's an air, but I'll give it a go. Renee Witterstatter. Yes. Began the comic phase of her career working on such titles as Guardians of the Galaxy, Thanos Quest, Superman, Silver Surfer. Yeah. Yeah, no one's doing that. Conan the Barbarian, The Punisher, Special Projects, and Conan Saga. Then going on to spearhead the reintroduction of She-Hulk at Marvel as well as part of that legendary run. Can we just pause a moment? Have you watched any of the MCU? Do you watch the MCU stuff? Uh, well, yes, I do. Uh, with my schedule, I don't often do it in a timely manner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I admit, uh, much to my chagrin, I have not watched She-Hulk yet. Mm-hmm. Although I hear that it's very good. I'm, I'm two very episodes good. in, and it is so good. It's fantastic. And I can't wait. It's so refreshing. Wait. It's it's light. It's 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 well executed. It's well paced uh, i love it and it's it, you know what i love about it as well with, and this isn't spoilers but the um the, they usually put the opening credits at the end on the marvel shows there's quite a long period of of stuff and there's loads of um kind of uh it's it's got a kind of got a comic art effect as if the images have been drawn on the screen and they reference a lot of the iconic images that have been used on she-hulk books yeah, so they're like they're like the courtroom drawings yeah. throughout oh, the episode, nice. and then at the end they show the courtroom drawings as if they're recapping the yeah. show, but also what happened to things in the plot line that you weren't kind of aware of during the show. So you ah. kind of see like a little bit of where loose threads went and mm. nice little updates to where the next episode is going. It's done well, and the actors. Well, I, I will definitely watch it. I I like to joke that I'm boycotting though because my invitation to the premiere was somehow lost in the mail. <laughs> now this is this uh, is that's a crime. People from Marvel that didn't even work on the book, but that's a crime. Right. That's a crime. We're going to start. I am a character in the book, guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. We are, listen, we've got 4,000 members in our group. So we'll see if we can get them all rustled up because there's there's four thousand petitions written straight away. Please wrestle. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do that. Okay. Everyone listening. Yeah. I wish, I wish we had 4,000 listeners in this podcast, but we can dream. But we've got 4,000. You know, um, right. 
Okay, here we go. So the life of Rene continues. I'm loving this. We should just do this in future episodes, now, and we should just bring people's bios back to them and just comment on it. Um, <laughs> uh, she like, then what moved... if that's not me? I'm the wrong person. <laughs> that's uh, Rene then moved to Topps Comics, where she was the editor on the X Files, <laughs> Jurassic Park, Xena, and Hercules, and is the co-creator with Jackie Chan and artist Michael Golden, who was who was with you at the um, con the other month. Yes. Um, of the successful series Spartan X, which will be made into a trade paperback featuring new material. Oh, I'll pick that up. Um, she is also the colorist on hundreds of comics from the Avengers to Spider-Man to Captain America to Jurassic Park, among many, many others. <sighs> Punctuation is your friend in that one. Um, she is the writer of Nick Cardi, The Artist at War, Excess, The Art of Michael Golden, Carrie and the Scary Things. Is that a children's book? It is. It is. It That's is. Cool. I've I, seen, think I, I, I think I've seen that. I might even... My daughter might even have had it at a school oh. library because um, I've definitely seen it around. Uh, Dying for Action, the life and film of Jackie Chan and more. She is the president of Little Eva Inc. Publishing and Eva Inc. Artist Group, which I really want to talk about, uh, which represents artists and writers in comics, storyboards, fine art painting and more. There's three more paragraphs here, but I'm going wow. I'm to I'm gonna pause. I'm going to come back to it because I... I That's almost accurate. Um, Jackie was the consultant on Spartan X. He, okay. he wasn't the co-creator. All right. Okay. Uh, Michael Golden and I created, so I'll have to have that corrected. Yes. Okay. Um, although, um, you know, Jackie uh, is and was a friend of mine, so he was yeah, yeah. You know, very much a, uh, mm. you know, someone that I, I really went to for accuracy in the book. And it was certainly right. inspired by Hong Kong movies, Jackie's included. Yeah. Um, I think the rest of that is fairly accurate. I think it left out pros and cons celebrity booking. Or is that in the next paragraph? No, it's not. The next paragraph goes on to talk about you being one of the producers of the Creator Chronicles DVD series with Woodcrest Productions. Yes. Featuring interviews with me. Oh, this list that's coming up just makes, makes me sit up and beg with major industry creators such as George Perez, God rest his soul, uh, Bill Sinkovich, Michael Golden, Joe Jusko, Matt Wagner, Joe Sinot, and many more. Oh, yes. I've yes, seen that. Great, wow. great list of people. Um, other projects include the books uh, Michael Golden, Dangerous Curves, um, Santa Confidential <laughs> with Hagar <laughs> the Horrible Artist Chris Brown and Mark Texera, Tempest. Um, in her not so abundant free time she lectures on storytelling most recently in china and russia wow you you travel um a bit before the pandemic yeah uh, yeah Yeah. i think everyone's saying uh fishes dances travels and is also curating several major art exhibits i've lost the power to speak featuring u.s and european talent and that is where it ends fishes that that's the one that sticks out you're a keen fisher lady Oh, yes, I am quite. Oh. I was just uh, fishing this last weekend, but all I caught were blue crabs. No okay. fish at all, but I filled the canoe with blue crabs. Okay. And I, I was only pinched twice. Right. Wow. <laughs> Better than me. That's awesome. <laughs> the fun part was like uh, bringing the canoe up on shore and then trying to get behind each crab mm. and grab it from behind and mm. throw it back in the water. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. They didn't seem to understand that I was trying to help them. And <laughs> most wild animals don't. Yep. Yeah. They're not the smartest. Of course, I did abduct them to begin with. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but yes, I love to fish. I, I, I like to take pictures of them and, and then let them go. Oh, cool. I am, I am like the alien abductor. <laughs> I was just thinking from a crab's point Plucking of view. them out of their yeah. world. And <laughs> examining them point. and then letting them go back to tell the other fish their stories. Mm. <laughs> it's real, I swear. Yeah. Oh, he's insane. He's you lost his mind. Yeah, given the generational <laughs> stories passed down from generation to generation about, about the aliens that do this, you'd think the crabs would have caught on by now. Certainly the lobsters. Um, right. Um, where, whereabouts? So. Do, whereabouts? Where, whereabouts? We what part of the world we we are fishing in? Just out, just get. I was in Rhode me. Island. It's um, okay. Labor Day weekend is generally the only weekend I take off and do something non-comic book related. Okay. Uh, every other weekend of the year, especially during the busy season, I'm usually at a convention. Yeah. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, and it's getting back to that now because I, I also, in addition to even artist group, I have pros and cons celebrity booking and I rep artists, I mean, uh, actors and voice actors and uh, media talent through that company. But I was at a dance event in uh, a Cajun and Zydeco dance event in Rhode Island. Oh, wow. I'm I'm also a ballroom dancer. Oh, that's cool. Wow. Dancing, Cajun dancing. Very, very cool. Very cool. I love exercise. You can have fun and get some I love doing that. I love all that stuff. Yeah, I used to do yeah, all that stuff. Well. Yeah. So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. So I did like a bunch of like little things like that. Not not oh, anything nice. serious, but it's really cool. I love all that oh, stuff. Well, if we're ever to show together, we'll have to look for a dance event. <laughs> I'm there. That's a promise. I'm in. Uh, you should probably know that that Norin is six foot four. So um, he's yeah, he's but I'm graceful partner. Okay. A, yeah. I'm I'm like a dandelion on the dance floor. Okay. I'm just I'm just going. Okay, that's gorgeous. Is that Beautiful. a good reference? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I the only it. flower I could think of, I was like, maybe. Uh. <laughs> a I do believe well, it. We'll go with that as a mental image. I'm gonna that's gonna stick with me Done. for a long time. I'll live with that. Um <laughs> actually while we're, while we're mentioning there, because obviously I'm I met you last month for my first ever US con, the Boston Fan Expo. Um which we touched on in last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've been to small ones in the UK before, but never what I consider to be a proper one. And the American ones are, for me, as an Englishman, the proper ones, because nine times out of 10, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more of the talent there because it's, sure. you know, it's, it's on home, home soil um, from the comics and the cards world. And um, yeah, it was just, I was, I was only there for that day and it was just absolutely wonderful. So one day. Wow. It. Yeah. Like I, wind visit. Well, no, no, I was at, no, I was only at the con for one day. I was in the U S for two weeks, but I flown uh, on a Friday night and um, gone up to join family in, in New Hampshire the following day. So, um, so yeah, I just had that one day there, but it was great. And I met um, some fa- fabulous people. Um, but um, so I know because, because of what, what you do, you're, you mentioned it's getting back to normal now. So in a, <laughs> a speech quotes in the air, in a normal year, yeah. what's you know what's the kind of number of cons that you'd be hitting? I mean, would it be throughout the year? Is there a season, or is it how how does it normally run? Well, usually the slow months are December and January, mm. and somewhat February. 
uh, but every other month there are, and even during those months now, there are shows you used to wow. be able to say, oh, well, in December and January, there will be no shows, but it's not like that anymore. Okay. Um, every other month, there are multiple shows on every weekend. Wow. And I can't physically do them all. Mm. Um, you know, some of my um, artists just go to shows without me and report back because a lot of times I'll be a guest at another show. Yeah. And um, so it just depends. And uh, I, I lost count of how many shows I did this year. Uh, I have not counted them, actually. Wow. I just kind of think about the next month of shows and, and what I have to do mm. and um, promoting the talent uh, to make sure they have as many shows as they want to do. Sure, sure. So it's just, um, yeah, this year was busy. Last year, um, we probably did about half the shows that we normally do this year seems almost like a normal year. Okay. Wow. Um, most of the conventions aren't doing the mask mandates anymore mm. um, for better or worse. I mean, I don't really have an uh, opinion or know what's best to do, but I think, I think a lot of people are trying to, to get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah. Um, it foreign shows, uh, you know, um, anything other than domestic shows have not really wildly picked up um, because of the prices of air tickets, mm. I think. Mm. And also maybe promoters not wanting to take the chance on someone coming and having COVID and then not being able to go back to their home country. Yeah. But I think that is also slowly changing the, the one day show that I was supposed to be doing in the UK. I think they just decided this year they were not going to do it because they couldn't, um, they weren't confident of the numbers yeah. that would be coming out. Okay. So, yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do it again next year. And I should be in the UK in the spring because Star Wars Celebration is supposed to be over there. Yes. Yes. Uh, Easter, I believe. I'm, right. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Is it Easter weekend? I, 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 so I, I read that online and I shouldn't believe everything I read online, but someone did say <laughs> oh, it was no. going to be Easter. Um, but either way, I think it's April anyway, whenever Easter falls, because it's always moving around. Um, yes. But I... Um, yeah, I'm tempted by that. It just depends on 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 on, on how much <laughs> much money I've got because nothing's cheap at the moment. No, um, this is so true. But, but anyway, it's for me. Yeah, no, it, it's like it's Star Wars Celebration is great because it's totally well. It used to be. I think it's changed a little bit now um, that it's owned. You know, a lot of these companies are owned yeah. by the same entity now. Yeah. Uh, it used to be just all Star Wars all the time, all day long, nothing else. Uh, and it was just a, and Star Wars fans are some of the most devoted fans in the world. And if you had anything Star Wars on your table, they will buy it. Wow, wow. <laughs> and of course, Michael is a very well-known Star Wars artist. Yes. Michael Golden. Mm -hmm. So he he has he always uh, enjoys those shows. Uh, because it's, it's different than the regular comic cons, which are uh, now most of them are becoming very much a mix of different pop culture. Very much. And uh, and uh, the last Star Wars celebration we had, there was a little bit of that coming in. I think now if you are there, 
um, you can have 80% of Star Wars on your table and 20% of other stuff. So the other stuff is starting to come in a little bit, yeah. not to get too much into the business uh, aspects of things, but I, I, I'm looking forward to coming over there. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's, there the business aspects of it. And, you know, the uh, one thing, one thing we try and do on this podcast when we when we talk to people who work in the industry is we just try to well we just try to have a conversation at the end of the day we don't sure. to be too prescriptive or press junkety about it but w- what we've tried to do because we've spoken to um a number of um people who've created sets who happen to also like bob budiansky for example we had on um last year and he he was a fascinating fellow and we just try to get that sense of the kind of the old history of sure. you know the creation of of some of the stuff that we dig, so um, it's always good to get a peek behind the curtain, I guess, um, from you know from the point of view of a collector and a fan. Um, you guys talk amongst yourself for a second. I have to turn on my air conditioner. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've finished my cup of tea, Norin. I need another cup of tea. This is not good. Another cup of tea. I need another cup of tea. The Queen's Another tea. cup of tea. I've taken Queen's drinking tea. my tea. With that may be too loud. Is that air conditioner loud? Um, sit down and, and talk. And let's... I think it's too loud. I'm turning it off. Okay. Yeah. It's in the background bit. We, we don't want you overheating, Renee. That's okay. I, I we... can't find my palm frond. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, proper cup of tea. Proper I used to work with a British director on commercials when I lived in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he was very exacting about how I made his tea. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And he could actually tell if I put the tea bag in first. Yes. Or after. Wow. And if I put the milk in first or after. Yes. And he was, he just like, oh my, no, it had to be exactly the right way. Yeah. Yeah. English people are exceptionally precise about how tea is made. And there are all sorts of arguments over how much milk, whether the milk goes in first, whether it goes in afterwards. I've taken to, uh, for the reference, uh, I have the uh, hot water in first because it allows the tea to infuse. And then I add milk. And I always have quite a lot of milk as well. But I've recently taken to putting oat milk in my tea. And how's that working? It's it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's it's like a road to Damascus <laughs> moment. Oh, that's it's, so British of you using oat milk. It's uh, I don't know. I don't is know. it? Is it though? I don't know. No, I'm just is kidding. It, yeah. <laughs> I do have to warn you though that like when I was working with this British director, I worked with yeah. him for several years, mm-hmm. but I have a tendency to pick up accents. Oh, okay. And start using them without, like, out without realizing that I am. I do as well. If I start talking with a British accent during the interview, I, I'm, I'm not right. mocking you. It's just yeah. <laughs> something I do. Right. I can always, I can always change my British accent to sound a bit different. I do this all the time on episodes, and no one just rolls his just eyes. Just to throw me off, it, right? Yeah, I do. The, I do this yeah. all the time. It's uh, anyway. Where is he from? What is he doing? Um, I, you I live talk in... with a Texan accent, and I'll talk with a British. Okay, accent. well, well, but uh, now here we go. That, that, I'm ready for this. I, I, I'm going to muff that up, so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll scrap that straight away. Now, I, I lived in London for two decades, so I kind of I kind of picked up all sorts. But um, anyway, anyway, let's right. let's move on. What else was I going to? No, we digress. We're always doing that on this show. It's like it's yep. like a side. Digressing is fun. Digressing we like is it. fun. 
Um, so I want to talk about, if you don't mind, because I know this is a long time. I know this is like 30 years ago. Um, um, and I remember when we spoke to Bobby says, oh, I don't know, it was so long ago. I can't really remember. Bless him. Um, but I'm dead curious to know what it was like to work at Marvel in the early 90s when you were there. Um, how long were you? How long were you working? I was at Marvel for about five years, maybe oh, a wow. little okay. longer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off at DC Comics in the okay. Superman office, uh-huh. and then I went to Marvel, and then I went to Tops. Then I was out of comics completely for a number of years, working in film production yes. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then comics pulled me back in uh, as an agent. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. No, I am. Um, because when I, when I had, I had this um, moment where I was, when I was reading your, your thing and you said you've gone back into agent, it suddenly occurred to me because we, we, um, we spoke to Greg Hildebrandt um, the other year and he's a delightful fella. And Jean, his, his, his wife does, does that as well. She's like right. represents artists and, uh, sure. and it, it, it just, uh, yeah, I was just interested that there, there are these people within the business who have such connections, you know, it is cause it is an industry and it is a, you know, people are connected to each other and, you know, it is very much, you know, all these conventions you go on is a circuit. I'm just fascinated by how that's developed over the years. As a, it's a traveling of, circus. Yes. Yeah. Like an ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, like yeah, that. very much so. Yeah. I like that. That's um, a good one. <laughs> Rene Wittestatter on tour 2023. Um, <laughs> can you imagine the t shirt on the back of the venue. Day. I know. Like, we need to man. do that. Like, yeah. make that's a good one. Shirts. Yeah. We'll do that. No one's good with yeah. his art skills. Mind you, you're good with your art skills as well. So, I, so I've got here, um, I'm, a particular i had to downsize my comic collection but it's still behind me i had to downsize massively because there's simply only so many one person can own so i have here if you can see let me take my background no i'm gonna take my background off because it's just terrible and you're gonna get to see my terrible terrible office which is unpainted as yet because we only moved oh my gosh the horror oh it is i haven't had a chance to do anything to this room yet it's disgusting it's disgusting beige what's wrong with you it's like this it's like the color beige that's like heavy smokers handkerchief beige it's just terrible um anyway um so let's move on to something much more beautiful marvel age so marvel age i love so for those who don't know renee and i know you worked on this magazine because it says to me here um what is or was marvel age well marvel age was um a book where we previewed a lot of the things that were coming up at Marvel. We did spotlights on creators, Um, you know, just talked about all things Marvel. I I always looked at Marvel Age as a way to communicate with our community of fans, Mm. Uh, just like I approached all the columns I wrote that way as well. You know, this is a way to communicate with people that might be picking up my book so they know a little bit about me. So Marvel Age was that. Marvel Age was like... You know, we want you to feel like you're a part of this. This is what's going on. This is who we are. And it was it was uh, kind of like a, almost like a fan, you know, as if we had a fan club and this was our book for our fan yeah. club. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. It's kind of it's kind of a comic book about Marvel. That's how I kind of think about it, because um, it yeah. is, you know, regular comic I remember. Size, came I remember these. From like yeah, I think it made and... people feel like they knew the creator. Connected. Yes, yeah. it did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, it definitely did. I mean, we, um, 
we didn't get we didn't get these on newsstands as you call them in America as much in the UK. We get a few in into news agents, um, sure, and it would just be potluck as to what would come over. But I do remember grabbing a couple when I was uh, when I was a wee lad, um, and thinking, "Oh, lad, wow!" And it's just it's lad. just great, and it did it it did it did actually land exactly as as you described it. It, it kind of made you feel. But there, you know, there was a the the team, you know, the bullpen, as it was called, you know, of um, uh, creators. I mean, it was. I've got issue one here. I think that was eighty four, and I know it ran to at least ninety four because I think the last issue featured Greg and Tim Hildebrandt, and it was a ah. masterpieces, Marvel masterpieces, ninety four Troving Cup. So it ran for about ten years, and some of the issues, uh, there is an earlier issue that has the first. It's actually because it was published first. It has the first black suit Spider Man. Ah, yeah. It's a preview of Secret Wars, so it has some. Um, this is what I love about it. These days, it's, it's it's common for comics to come out with like director's cuts or have sketchbook areas in the back in the graphics and things like that. You didn't get that so that so much in the eighties, nope. and so a lot of that stuff would end up in Marvel Age. Right. That would preview stuff or you know whatever it was, and so yeah, the first black suit Spidey. Technically, because it was published before Secret Wars Eight or whatever it was, was in Marvel Age. You know, I never thought about that. Um, So a couple of them. That to Zach because you know I bet he hasn't even thought about that either. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, And there's 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 a there was a brilliant Stanley photo issue as well. And some of the some of them are. Oh, the photo the photo issues are so much fun. Photo issues. Well, there's a photo issue from just after this this run where you were. Um, so, so let me let me back up a step. So, I had a look for all these this morning. I had a good look for. I don't have every issue, but I've got maybe half of them. And I was looking through, and I noticed your name start to appear in Marvel Age around issue ninety or so, which would have been about okay. ninety one, ninety two, um, as um, it just in the editorial team. Mm. You know, there was a list of um, oh, I can't remember how it was how it was listed. Now it was yeah, just consulting editors. editors. And there you are. There's about 20 people in there, and there you are in the list. And I was I was looking through it. I was looking through it, and I was going through issue after issue because I said, I'm sure I remember her being a little more high profile than that. And then suddenly, <laughs> around issue 106, you're the editor. I took over. Of Marvel. You took over. And I'm like... She's storming the castle. Um, (laughs) That's enough of this, boys. How does it? How does it? How does it it actually work? So I imagine it's it's probably not as glamorous as I'm making it. She's not going to tell you where she buried the bodies, man. It required a duel. Some of the photos in here, (laughs) you can almost see where they buried the bodies. Honestly, Um, it is it is quite funny because there's so many photo issues. It's it's great, and there's a photo issue when Midnight Suns was launched about a year later than this one. Um, and it's all the creators of the various books in the Midnight Suns, but they all take they've all taken a photo in some New York graveyard, and it's the most <laughs> it's, it's the most nineties photo shoot ever. That's it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's just wonderful. So tell tell us how how do you get what 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 did you do as your kind of role when you were just in that list of editors, and how did you get up to be? Like the editor with the- like I said, it involved a duel. No, okay. honestly, uh, <laughs> as as a contributing editor, uh, that means that I would write articles. Gotcha. Um, I would suggest articles. Uh, I would be paid for writing those articles, so it was freelance. Okay. Uh, and when you're as an assistant editor at Marvel, which I probably was still an assistant. No, I might have been a full editor by then. 
But even so, especially when you're an assistant editor at Marvel during that time, you had to do freelance work Mm. because the pay was so low that to live in New York City, you had to write columns or do coloring or do whatever, you know, whatever you could to make some extra money. Because Mm. I think when I was an assistant at DC Comics, my salary was about 18,000 a year to try to live in Manhattan. And at Marvel, I think it was about 24. Uh, So still better. Um, But if you could write a letter column and make $50, that's what you did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's also how I started uh, coloring so many books, which I, I did very much enjoy, but a lot of times you would get books that were very late and you were get, you know, you get a call or someone knocks on your door and says, Hey, can you color this 24 page comic book overnight? Uh, and I'm like, wow. okay, sure. And so you're working as an editor from nine to usually seven and then go home and color all night mm. and then drink a bunch of coffee and go back <laughs> to work the next day. And uh, that was not uncommon. I mean, I really think during that time, a lot of us were doing that yeah. um, because we were living in Manhattan. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you were, we were younger and it was a lot easier to stay up all night and then go to work today, the next day. Yeah. And and survive on no sleep for two or three days. And sometimes I know some people, I never did this, um, but some people would have like a coloring party where they would get three of their friends to come over and everybody would color the comic book. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, not, not just random friends who weren't working at Marvel, but actually. Oh no, not somebody Marvel off the star. street that okay. like, never held a paintbrush <laughs> because we were actually painting those pages. Yeah. I don't know if you realize that, but coloring back then you had a set of Dr. Martin's dyes Okay. and you would take those dyes and you would mix them to get the different colors. And you had to hand paint every single panel of that comic book and then you had to code each color for the separator yeah so it was it was a much different process of coloring than what they do now mm-hmm. i actually still prefer the way the old comics look most of the time because i think what a lot of people lose track of is that coloring is a storytelling tool yes. just like the art and the inking and the lettering and the writing all of those things are supposed to propel the story and if you have coloring that is so muddy that it makes someone stop and go, what is going on here? Then it's not doing its job. It is yeah. no longer a storytelling tool. It is somebody not understanding, in my opinion, the job of coloring. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I digressed again. What were we talking? No, about? I mean, that's no, absolutely. More, you, you I mean, when you're talking, I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time in, 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 in what I do at the university over here talking about color theory. I mean, Technicolor was kind of honed in and perfected by a woman and she wrote the color theory book on colors. I mean, there's color story. We, you know, there's some beautiful uh, work on Wally that was done where they talk about Disney's color wow. story and I how they go through that. It's so, and it's just amazing to see that in comic books too, because what people don't understand and and from my limited experience is that depth really is important when you do coloring because you have to completely understand the lighting situation, the density of the color. You have to understand, you know, how you create that kind of illusion. It's beautiful. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And you have to think of it cinematically. Um, 
a lot of people say this now, but I, I like to think I was the first that um, <laughs> that, you know, comic books are like a movie on paper and you yeah. have to think about it cinematically. You have to take your person, your your reader through this movie that is on paper and and not take them out of that story. So whatever you do to jar them out of that story kind of takes away from that entertainment experience. And, you know, that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, when I was the contributing editor on Marvel Age, that's what I was doing. A lot of times I was coloring stuff in Marvel Age, too. There was sometimes there was spot color. That's right. That's done. right. Yeah. And I you, think, it, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because du- during the issues, there's a ra- there's there's your reign of, of Queen Renee, as we will call it, where you're editor. And then you, um, for from then onwards, I think from about issue 120, 13 onwards Steve Saffel is listed as editor and you've moved to Colorist and there you remain from through pretty much the rest of the run until 94 who was the editor before me oh yeah 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 now you're asking a question hang on a second it was uh oh actually yeah uh no he's just written the intro on that one Jim Sallycrop I've got on this one but I think it was someone else before that I don't know. I thought I, I I forgot that Steve Saffel was after me. Yeah, he's after um, you. Yeah, that probably means then that my workload they assign different book, books to me at that point mm. because, and then maybe Steve took over. I really don't remember. I'd have to ask Steve what that was. Yeah. Um, but I might have become a when I was a full editor before then I you know like like Bob said it's that was a long time ago I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened and you're doing 20 hour days drinking coffee and coloring yes, yes. Yeah, busy busy yes. busy but I may have relinquished the crown and given it to Steve because I had too many <laughs> other books to do <laughs> well during that brief and glorious period you're you're opening um uh, column where you introduced the issue, which is probably about eight or nine issues worth, was Witterstatter's witticisms. Yes, <laughs> that's you, cool. You don't want to say when you've had a few um, shandies. <laughs> um, and I, I just read all those this morning, and I, I just love the the. And this is what I like about it. It ties back into your your um, uh, what you were saying earlier about uh, the uh, persona and the relationships that the reader would have with the different people. And it's just there's a very much a, a warmth and a tone that you had in the way that you wrote your columns, and it was very uh, wonderful and inventive. And uh, um, Steve afterwards has has a different way about him, and you know, in the same way that Stan's got a very very um, listen to me talking to him in the f- with the first name. That's the thing about Stanley; everyone feels like they know him because he was kind of so everywhere across all the books. I think I think uh, he's one of those people. Well, especially in our industry, you say Stan. Of course, everybody knows who you're talking mm. about. You can call him Stan. I don't think he would have minded. Oh, bless him. Um, he was that way. Uh, but yes, I tried to write my letter columns as if I were talking to a friend, um, talking, you know, trying to have the reader know something about me. Mm. And um, and I always did try to write about things that were important to me. Uh, so I'm glad it came across that way because that's exactly how I meant it to be. And actually my blog, which I haven't posted on in a little bit now is called Witterstatter's Witticisms. It's still alive. It's still alive. Brilliant. That's awesome. But they changed the formatting of it. And now it's driving me crazy because I go in there to try to post articles 
and it doesn't let me format them like I used to. So I have to oh. figure out what's going on. That's why I haven't posted much because it's it's driving me nuts. Oh, crazy! <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it like a WordPress thing? Or, or it is. Like I think yeah. it's was Blogspot. I don't think it's WordPress. Oh, oh okay. Okay. I, I may have to move it to a different place, mm. but I don't want to lose all my data because I've got no. years now of articles on there. Wow. Okay. We are going to link, by the cool. way, to where everyone can find you online, including okay, um, in our show notes, and uh, we'll we'll pop it at the end of the show as well. Um, just simply because I'm curious, and I know you probably, maybe you don't get asked about this all the time, but from from a perspective of a fan, it's very much a a hallowed halls kind of scenario. Just thinking about working at Marvel at that time, you know, we we kind of perceive it from the outside sure. you know, through the lens of the books and the work and things like that. So the people there become very much elevated in the eyes of uh, the, the fans reading them, you know, none more so, I guess, than, than, than Stan Lee. Sure. But what was it like day to day in terms of working with some of those people? So, for, you know, obviously you'd have met Stan and, and, and uh, probably worked with him during those years. Oh yes. Sure. What was, what just, just kind of, Tell us how it, how it was just to be around some of those people and how aware were they of, of how they were kind of perceived? And I'm just curious. Well, when I, when I first started, uh, when I first moved up to New York and I, I had the job at D.C. as an assistant, I was at D.C. probably for a little less than two years. Um, D.C. was very corporate, even back then. Um, you know, very suit and tie, very... Uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was very much a corporate vibe. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, The, the staff did not hang out together. Um, Occasionally maybe you would, but it's not like, it's not like you would all go to lunch together or all go to dinner or get together or anything like that. People uh, uh, maybe were a little bit older had families, went home to their families. So that's the way kind of that DC was. It was just kind of a different vibe. Still learned a lot there. Um, Mike Carlin taught me a great deal when I was his assistant, um, you know, down to how to place balloons in a comic book. I mean, he, he was, he's a very knowledgeable person and he did teach me a great deal, but I was offered, um, I had met, uh, Jim Salakrup at a convention in Texas, because before I started working at DC, I was co-chairing a convention in Dallas called the Dallas Fantasy Fair. And it was run by a gentleman named Larry Lankford, who's, who's no longer with us. But Larry was really the forerunner of what I consider the modern convention, because he mm-hmm. was one of the first people that, that, was, that was bringing in uh, Adam West and Billy Moomy and you know, Stan Lee and, and I mean, really major artists too, Al Williamson and uh, just, oh gosh. I mean, I start thinking about some of the people that I met through that show. He would bring in people like George Takei, you know, just Uh really, and, and like a marvelous guest list. And then he spread to other cities in Texas. And he was really one of the first people doing this. Um, and it was, and it was at one of those shows 
that they were promoting, um, I think, Craven's Last Hunt and also promoting the Spider-Man uh, wedding issue. Oh, no. So wow. there were a lot of great Marvel people there. That's where I met Mike Zeck. It's where I met Jim Salakrup. It's where I met Tom DeFalco, Steve Saffel, yeah. who, wow. who later I, I you know, let him sit on my throne. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, Steve's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so... I met a lot of people through that show. And um, when a job opening came up at the silver in the silver surfer art office at Marvel, Jim Salakrook called me and said, well, you know, Craig Anderson is looking for an assistant. Um, You know, if you want to come over here, I I think we'd love to have you. So I interviewed with Craig and I looked at the vibe at Marvel and while, you know, there was nothing wrong with DC, Marvel at that time was, was skewing a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There were a lot more people my own age. Um, I liked the vibe of the books and I really thought Craig was a really nice guy. And so I took the job and oh, and also the pay was higher. And <laughs> <laughs> That may have been a motivating factor. Small, small motivator. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you notice I said that last because that was not really if I if you know, it's yeah, the six thousand dollars made a difference. I'm not going to lie, but it wasn't actually the main thing that I was looking at. I mean, it was Silver Surfer. That's that's what we're all talking about. Right. Okay. And Craig also. you know, also being around my friends like Jim and and it turned out to be a decision that I never regretted because Marvel was such a family at that time. Mm. You know, everyone hung out together. Um, you would, ha- you know, every Wednesday we used to go to this place called the Abbey Tavern and that was our get together after work and go have a drink night and everybody would come wow. and we would celebrate each other's birthdays. We would celebrate holidays uh, you know, and also they would have assistant editor school, which were run by Mark Grunewald and Mark every week would take the assistant editors and give us classes on how to be a good editor and what to do. And just wanting to, you know, convey his knowledge to the generation that was coming up. I mean, he was a very, very kind man. And I do also think that um, and I consider him one of my mentors and he and Craig Anderson and, and Jim Salakrup most definitely were, were big influences on, on my career. But Mark really made Marvel. I, I like to make the analogy that he was really the heart and soul of Marvel at that time because he loved the industry so much. He loved comic books so much. He wanted us all to do good work. And he was a lot of fun. I mean, he was the ones he was the one that would do all the, the, uh, the Halloween parties and organize all the birthday parties. You know, we would like. You know, you would have Tom DeFalco and the rest of us in the bullpen doing balloon races. Uh, do you know wow. what a balloon race is? No. Okay. It's where you have teams. Your team lines up. You have two teams lined up perpendicular to each other. Across the room, you have chairs. And to make it even harder, sometimes you would put a pillow on the chair. And you're given balloons that have not been blown up. So the first person in your in your row has to blow up that balloon, run to the chair, pop it by, by sitting on it. Then then they have then the next person has to do it. So if you have any trouble popping that balloon, are you? <laughs> 
you don't have the technique down quite right, mm-hmm. you know, your team can fall behind, so to speak. Oh, so it's. <laughs> Ah, oh, it sounds like so much fun. Yeah, and we even did stupid things. Like one, one time Mark was, we had this thing where they would never allow you to do things like this today. I'm just saying <laughs> life before the internet was so much fun. Um, you could do so many crazy things and no one ever knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, one of the games we did was, okay. Once again, you have a team and you have one person who is going to be like the pillar and each team has a roll of saran wrap and you have to cover that person in saran wrap. <laughs> and whoever like runs out of saran wrap first wins. <laughs> now this is the oh. kind of stuff we did while we were making your comic books, guys. This is I, what we did. See, that's the fun <laughs> translates. Now, hats off right? to you. The, this the is fun the stuff we want to know. You know, this is brilliant. Oh, but, but you can see it. That's the beautiful thing I like about Marvel yeah. Age, which is it's why I keep get, going back to it. I can dip into it, and there are issues where you've got photos where you're having parties. Um, there's there's. <laughs> There's, there's, there seems to be a whole period where it, invariably there's someone dressed up as Spider-Man and then there's Oh, yes. Um, yes. But there are. It's funny you mentioned the Marvel, um, the uh, assistant editor school. That's mentioned in an issue with photos it? of it. Yes, it's wow. it's in an earlier issue um, than I've got in my hand. They're in the box there. But I, I saw it this morning and I, I read about it. Um, and it's fascinating. But in this issue, you've got the, take a photo tour of the Marvel bullpen. Ah. It's literally, it's like there's a load of kids going around and they're taking photos of it and they're looking at yes. Harry Kavanagh's office and um, they end up in, where are we? Um, Tom, Mark or Carl. So the, there's a photo of their office. There's some guy dressed as Spider-Man. There's John Romita Sr. Uh, sitting there in his wow. office, which looks extraordinary. Uh, it's just fascinating. And so you kind of, you did, you know, just hearing about the fact that it was as fun as it looks is. Oh, we, I, I enjoy useful. going to work every day. Good. Because it wasn't like going to work. It was like going yeah. to hang out with my friends uh-huh. and we got to do, you know, make fun stories. And there was not a day going into Marvel back then that, that I dreaded. It was just like you, you, you were looking forward to it. You were looking forward to seeing the people you worked with. Yes. You were looking forward to whatever was going to happen that day. And it was always interesting. It was it was never boring. Every day it was something different. Mm-hmm. Um, my degree is in journalism and English. And I think that's one reason that I gravitated towards journalism, because I like to write feature stories. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did is because I always felt everyone had a story. You just had to find out what that story was yeah. and that everyone has something interesting about them. And I felt that way about comic books, too, is that. Every time you had a new book to do, you're trying to tell the char- the story of that character. And, you know, you think of them as a real person with real problems and real desires and real goals. And if you approach it that way, you're going to write stories or edit stories that resonate with other people out there that are going through the same thing or feeling the same thing or can get something out of that story. And I think that's one thing I really liked about the Marvel books is I felt many of them back in that day were um, very human and you could relate to them. You could have empathy for them. You could go on a journey with them. They weren't infallible. Um, they had some of the same problems that, that the rest of us have and having superpowers 
maybe sometimes helped them, but a lot of times it also hindered them and they had to figure out how to, to deal with that. Um, so I always also approached it from a story, t- you know, even though my uh, background was in journalism, um, I found that the skills I learned in journalism also helped me as an editor and later on in film production, because no matter what, you're telling a story. Yeah. And stories have to have certain elements. Yeah. Um, who, what, when, where, why, and how. You've got to answer those elements in any type of story that you're telling. And you have to try to do it in a way that hasn't been done before, um, or at least in an interesting way. Uh, and so I always liked that challenge. And it's, it's, uh, it's in any type of work I do, I like that challenge of conveying to the audience what it is that, that I, I want to tell them because it is a, it is a communication. It is a type of communication medium. Um, you know, and all of us uh, are put who are working on those projects are putting a little bit of ourself into them. So if you have eight creators working on a project, there's going to be a little bit of each of those creators in that, in that book. And I, I just always found it, enjoyable. And I think that's one reason why I always wanted to connect with the readers and the fans also in the letter columns and in my uh, personal uh, Witterstatter witticisms column, uh, because I wanted that communication with them. And it's, I I, I go to shows now and I, I still have a lot of fans that come up to me and say, you know, I read this article about your father dying, or I read this article about um, Halloween that you wrote, and I just want you to know that I it really meant something to me. You know, I, it it made me think about things in a different way, yeah. and that's what I was trying to do. So it's nice to know sometimes that what you're trying to do is is was actually successful, maybe even if only in a minor way, but it's still rewarding. Mm, it's absolutely. still successful, right? Even if it's in a minor way, yeah, it just matters that one person. I, I, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I know it sounds crazy. I'm slightly welling up here because it, oh. it's no. The the reason the reason reason being is because when I when we made our way myself and the two uh, collectors that I went to the con with, we made our way through and we finally got to the artists area. And I remember going, and there's a line of them down there, there's a line of, cause you're all along that one wall. Right. I remember uh, cutting left. And when we saw, when I saw your name and I saw you there, I was like, that's, a, you know, I did feel that warmth because I remember you, your name, because it's, it's, it's obviously quite a recognizable name um, alongside all these other guys who, who were at Marvel. And I remembered it from the Marvel age. And I remember seeing it in the books that you worked on. And I just remember, wow, you know, there's, there's someone. And I felt a connect, even though I probably didn't know much about you outside of that experience and interaction in through the comic book, which wasn't really an interaction. I guess, I guess it was. It is. It's a very kind of anonymous interaction, but still. Um, and it's it's fascinating. And you were so lovely, you know, when we came up and spoke to you. So thank you for that, because it's quite a nerve-wracking thing <laughs> going to, you know, going to a con that size and, you know, meeting someone um, who is quite, um, um, yeah, remembered uh, from, from that from that period and from those books. Yeah, so it's, it's, it, it is an interesting shorthand because people do feel like they know me. And um, 
And that's great because then it makes them come up and talk to me and then I get to know them. So, you know, that's it is kind of a shorthand that they already know something about me before they ever come up and talk to me. But I look at conventions like that all over the world that way is that our pop culture that we share in this industry is a shorthand for all of us. Anyone that walks into that room and has a love of comics already has something in common with other people in that room. Mm. So it's, it's, it's an immediate connection. And I always like to think no matter what country I'm in, no matter what language they speak, that there are friends in that room. I just haven't met them yet. Yeah. And we're all starting with that commonality. Yeah. And and I love that about our you know comic book community. Yeah. It well, it's right. so it, it's so funny because so Ian told me about the experience. I wasn't able to to jump on a plane and come see him in Boston because you know I live in North Carolina. He lives over there. We do this show every week. Been doing it for years now. Um, and he told me, and I was like, like before he mentioned who you were, I was kind of like, wait, I know that name. I I know that name because it rang a bell. And I was like, oh my god, the cards the editor, the collector cards. Yeah. And, and I was dying. Cause I was like, yeah. And I was, I was cracking up. Cause I was thinking about Craig. I was thinking about you because, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of crazy with collecting uh trading cards for surfer. And, you know, and I knew you from the books too. And I was just like, this is such a crazy world we live in Isn't to it? see how it's just insane. I mean, I've been, I remember I grew, I was born in 85. I grew up around the time you were coloring surfer. Like I was, you know, looking, reading surfer books and doing all this other stuff. And, you know, surfer had a profound effect on me as a kid. You know, I was, I grew up very differently. My sister has severe autism and, you know, I grew up very differently from other people. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was very much caring for her. I, you know, I was around other kids with disabilities and all that kind of stuff. And surfer always had this this sense of peace that he was trying to find that was difficult to obtain. You know, he didn't understand why the world was so ugly and he couldn't understand that. And I remember reading those books and I was like, wow, okay, this feels like a character I'm connected to. And it's such a weird thing. You mentioned earlier how all these characters deal with real world problems, even though they're fantastic. And it was this kind of interesting thing with surfer where, you know, he's still, there were still some bases of realism and bases of understanding from like a universal kind of empathetic type of understanding of him. But it's so funny how the cards reminded me of that. And I would look back at the cards like, oh my God, there she is. And I wanted to ask you, because it's just just so crazy how like that connection to that card to me is now I'm I'm getting to hear all these wonderful stories and mean how wonderful you are and all that kind of fun stuff. I was looking at the card and it's like a teleportation card. Is that correct? I know we're, we're going to have it in the tasting notes, everybody, in case you don't collect these cards, which I suggest you do because they're fantastic. I'm going to bring it's it a little up. segment of time. Yes. A little segment of time. It's really, it's really it's so charming. Were these, so tell us the history of these cards. So did they come out and were they given out conventions or like, what, what is the history of these cards? I love that image. So I know great. the John Byrne one. Yeah, that's really cool. It's so cool. Uh, so let's just, she, if, it were, if it were in color, you would see that that She-Hulk that, ah, that is in there. Let's let's just pause oh. slightly. John Byrne has drawn you, so f- f- straight yes. away. Ha- How cool is that? Hey. I mean, massive yeah. respect. Uh, on that. You know, John, oh, it, and see, this is She-Hulk that I'm holding up, and this is supposed to be her shadow down oh, here. I yeah, I see yeah, the that, hair. That I see it now. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so funny. 
Yeah, but John John drew me as a character in the book quite often. So this was not the yeah. first time that he drew me. Um, yeah, he drew me in the the comic book and and pretty well mimicked my wardrobe that I used to wear to work all the time: cowboy boots, <laughs> dresses, and uh, Chinese oh my gosh. You know, dresses. And I mean, I, I I still do. I mean, I love to wear different textiles and different clothes. You know, for mm. Yeah, but he he had it down. He had me dressed accurately. Uh, the only thing that wasn't so accurate, and I've, I mentioned this before in interviews, is that he gave me this big palatial office that was a penthouse on the corner with these big windows <laughs> and people bringing me coffee in the morning on a silver tray. <laughs> Actually, in the comic book, I think it was like some really good looking shirtless guy. But, you know, it was. <laughs> Yeah, that did not happen, guys. I'm just telling you, there was, there was no no bodybuilder bringing me coffee on a tray. Oh, you have that air my, about you. My illusions. You have, you yeah, have no, that. it should have been yeah. that way, but it just wasn't. <laughs> John Brown's and, like, she just has that no, thing about her that someone should be serving her coffee without their shirt. I don't know. It just makes sense to me, you know. <laughs> oh no! Don't don't put any ideas out there. At the next convention, people are going to be bringing me coffee, and they're going to be shirtless. <laughs> I was going to say, if I did that, you wouldn't want to drink anything. It'd probably okay. good, by the way. Um, the, but they um, can bring me coffee. They can bring you okay. coffee. Bring me coffee. So, so coffee, yes. Clothes uh, are yeah. not optional. How do you take your yeah. coffee? Perfect. Just put this out here so that people get it right, because I don't want anyone making any tea mistakes. How do you take yes. your coffee? What's yes, best? I know. But from my experience working with, with British directors, <laughs> I know it's very hard for anyone to understand just how much coffee you need or how much sugar you need. So I actually just asked for it black because what I'm really wanting is that jolt of caffeine to immediately enter my system. <laughs> okay. But if I were making it for myself, I would put in one sugar and a splash of milk. Okay. But how That's do you secret, ladies and gentlemen? Splash of milk. Uh, well, as an, English, as an English person, I, 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 a Persian, Persian. Oh, um, I know exactly what a splash of milk would be, but it is quite a difficult thing. Uh, it is to explain to someone that doesn't have a clue. Very much is. Very much is. I've, I've learned, my, my, my wife's is uh, vegetarian. Um, so the only time she has milk is when she has it in tea or coffee. And if I give a micro, a micro millimeter more than it, milliliter more than it should be, she knows. So yes, believe me, wow. I'm very well trained in a splash. I can't drink milk. this. Yeah. What is this? How dare you, My head Ian's really good at ducking now. No, seriously. Okay. Let me tell you so. what my office was really like at Marvel real quick before we move on. <laughs> Please. So, yes, I did not have the corner penthouse office. I shared an office with Marie Javens, and we were down oh, in a wow. segment called The Dungeon. It was on a completely oh. different floor than the rest of Marvel. The people in the dungeon are the ones that called it The Dungeon. No one else, I think, even knew we were there. <laughs> you had to go down a long hall, down an elevator, down another long hall, down some stairs to get to us. Wow. From the other Marvel offices. There were no windows and there were three offices down there and we had our own copy machine down there. So we didn't have to constantly go to the other floor and no one from rest, the rest of Marvel ever came down there. And conversely, I mean, because of that, we had uh, our own little kingdom down there. Marie and I even had a pet rat for a while. 
uh, whose name was Cleo. Oh my and it was not a wild rat. We Good didn't name. just take one off the floor and say, hey, pet rat. No, we, it, was a, it was a domesticated rat, although there were plenty of wild ones Yeah, around. not the New York ones. You don't want to be good. We're not no, those type no, of rat no. people, okay? We're very no, different. No, no, we're, we're not. <laughs> the wild ones can stay wild. But this one was a Japanese hooded rat, and we had, which means it was brown and white, and we had it in a cage in the office. We'd let it loose, and it would run around on the desks and stuff. And no one knew we had a rat down there because no one ever came to our yeah. office ever <laughs> so yeah all had, that sweet real estate to yourself that's great yeah it was great if only there had been a window i think we should have just yeah. painted a big window only, on the wall and well it's, it's interesting these marvel editor cards so for people who don't know what these were these were <laughs> these were pimped from um issue issue 104 of marvel age which is the jim lee um it kind of gives a it's a big profile on Jim Lee around the time that that X-Men uh was uh launching. And there was a whole double page about them. I'll take some photos of these and put them on the tasting notes. So I'm yeah, they're really fun. So Is these this- are the initial ones that were done. Wow. And you'll notice you're not on this page. No. Um so on this page we had people like Tom DeFalco, Mark Grunwald, uh Jim Salakrup, Craig Anderson, who is pictured on a surfer board. Is that the one you've got, Noreen? Have you got that? Yeah, one? of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Craig um, is such a nice man. Uh, I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, uh, we got That's Carl so Potts, cool. Ralph Macchio, Bob Harris, Fabian. I, I can never pronounce his Fabian, surname. give it a give it a shot. Fabian Nichesia? No, not even no. close. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that to Ian all day? That's amazing. (laughs) How dare you? Fabian Nicieza. Nicieza. Great. Okay. Let's let's never have him on the podcast because I will probably insult him. Um, (laughs) He's awesome. We should have him on. Oh, no. We'd love to. A lot of of these cats we'd love to speak to. Um, Oh, for sure. um, uh, Who else is on this page? Uh, Mike Rockwitz, uh, Don Daly, Nell Yomtov. That's a slightly disturbing image. Uh, Danny Fingeroff, Tevi Kavanaugh, and then you appear, and and then they were published every few, every every issue. So issue one hundred and six. There you are on the back page. Still more Marvel editors cards, and you've got yourself with Marie. You've got Rob Tokar, Glenn Hurdling, and Mark McLaurin. Yeah, um, all my buddies. Back page all to So they uh, were these. <laughs> Why why did they put us in a different issue? What's the <laughs> well no, that? they carried on doing it. So 107 had and uh, for for those uh, for those watching at home, these Is will this be Steve on the show. Steve Saffel that did this. Uh yeah, yeah, I think it was. I know Steve Saffel <laughs> himself appears in 107. So you were in an issue earlier than him. Um oh, uh, issue 107 had Tammy Brown, Steve Saffel, Sven Larson, and Lou Bank. Um yeah, all my buddies. There we are. So yeah. it was the second to last page in each book. And then I think it ran through to about issue 109. Uh, yeah, I think this is the last one. We've got Pat Garahay, Tom Danning, Barry Dutter, and Dawn Geiger. And that one is an exceptionally 90s. <laughs> Which one is? Uh, I love that. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. It's brilliant. Yeah. We I were love- able to pick the people that we wanted to do our cards. So, oh, that's wonderful. Of course, I was I working that. with um, with John at the time, so yeah. I asked him to do my card. And I still have the original. Oh, no, yeah. don't say that. That's cool. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. It. I mean, yeah. is the original are- in color? No, no, no. 
Oh, that's no. cool. Now, I guess something is a little bit lost because you don't, may not realize that that She-Hulk that I'm... Yeah. I love it now. Yeah, like seeing the shadow of the hair. And, no, I love it now. Yeah, I absolutely it, adore it. Oh, good. I love okay. it. It's we, amazing. What the, the, and you got to know, I was editing She-Hulk at the time and John was no, the yeah. She-Hulk artist. So, you know, you could put two and two together and maybe guess that was She-Hulk. Yeah. Oh, no, you but can totally see it. Strength. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, no, it's we, great. Um, I mean, these I don't. I'm not lucky enough to own any of them because they are they are rare as hens teeth to find. Because I believe they were issued. Yeah, I believe they were only issued for cons, so they're only given out at cons. Yes, so. we only gave them out at conventions. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, wow. and I think different creators gave them out at different rates. So there's there's some of them are not, and there's a lot out there that are unsigned. I mean, if you can find them signed. And I think they did them subsequent years with slightly different designs that would fit with the Marvel cards that were coming out. Right. Around that time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they are, uh, there's one guy that we know who's, who's got uh, a fair chunk of them. He's managed to track them down, but even. Aren't there three sets or just two sets? I think there's two or three that I've seen. Two or there's three, one, yeah. there's one with a pur- purple uh, border, which I think Stanley is part of in 92. Yeah. Okay. I think he's in that. And then there's the one with the gold one, which you're, which you're in. And I think I there's the, the one I was in the purple one too, I think. Really? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Because I That's know cool. John Byrne drew me. And then uh Michael Golden did one. Oh wow. Uh with me and the impossible man. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I gotta right? check. I gotta and find that. Cowboy boots. And then Mike <laughs> Zick, Mike Zick drew me as well. Oh wow. Um, but that's the image. The Mike Zeck one is the one I use um, on the Witterstat or Witticisms. Gotcha. He's right. The artist that drew that that picture of me. Okay. So maybe I was only on two cards. Well, who knows? We uh, the only one that we've been able to find an image of is the one that was printed in Marvel Age. Um, oh, yeah. it, it may well be that they they put more in issues because, as I said, I don't have all of the issues in Marvel Age. I'm, I keep missing massive chunks here and there. So maybe they're out there. So, folks, if you've got them, send us images of them because it'd be nice well, to, yeah, to get rid of the database. Eventually, I've, I've yeah. got some at home. Yeah. Um, but wow. Okay. What a marvelous time! Sorry, I can't believe I made that pun. Marvelous. Uh, that was good. That was good. That was good. I, I that took was a good. run up. I took a mental run up to that. Um, yeah. I, I want to after so after Marvel, you went to Tops, and I yes. loved the X Files um, comics that came out from Tops. And I think I've still got um, a reacquired a full run of them. Um, those covers and those first issues were so hot at the time. I remember them being like instant sellouts um because uh, you know if you, you go back to the 90s i don't think people appreciate how popular the x-files was oh it was wildly popular it was like properly i mean in an oh age before yeah. streaming and you know binge watching box for ancient aliens there was x-files yeah yeah we loved it <laughs> um and um so after top, so I want to, I want to, I kind of want to fast forward slightly. I want to talk about the kind of stuff that you do now because you've kind of, you mentioned We're just that you gloss into- all over tops. We're not no, 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 about no. Tops. We can we can dwell on tops. It's just that I'm not <laughs> as familiar with it. If you want to go tops, you go tops. Uh, but what I was going to say was, you because I know you went into you. You mentioned yourself. You you um, did you move out west and, and get into kind of film and TV? Okay, I'll, I'll give you the truncated history and then you Hit can me, Daddy-o. you can come back. Yes. And ask any questions that you feel are, are necessary. <laughs> okay. So I left Marvel and I went to Tops. Yes. Very hard decision. 
Uh, Jim Salakrup was over there as the um, editor in chief at that point. He offered me a, jo- a, jo- a job, which was far more than what I was making at Marvel. But I was very happy at Marvel. Mm-hmm. But at Marvel, Marvel had recently been bought by Ron Perlman of Revlon. Mm-hmm. So things were starting to change. It was starting to become a bit more corporate. And I went to Mark Grunewald and I told him that I had this job offer from Tops and I was trying to decide what to do. And he was very honest with me. And he said, look, things are changing around here and I don't know what's going to happen. And I really feel like they're going to start firing people. And I don't know how many people I'm going to be able to save. So he already knew something. Uh, And I said, well, thanks for the heads up. And I took the job at Tops. And a few months after that, uh, heads rolled at Marvel. It was a huge bloodbath. I don't know oh, if yeah. you remember that. We're very and they fired it. tons of people, including my former boss, uh, Craig Anderson, mm-hmm. who was such a dedicated editor. I mean, that was just an incredible shame. He was the Silver Surfer editor and Guardians of the Galaxy editor, really loved Marvel. I don't know if you know this, but Craig was also the son of... Um, the creator of uh, Marmaduke. The, oh the, wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. His father was was also an artist and a, and a writer. Gotcha. So I went over to Tops and immediately just jumped right in with the media books. Um, I suggested that we get Jurassic Park, which we did, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool because when I was at Marvel, I had read Jurassic, and I think I think Salar Krupp was already on that before I got there. Um, but when I was at Marvel, I read the first Jurassic Park book, and I said, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I want to do a comic book of this. Mm. And I went to some of my bosses and said, not Grunewald, and said, hey, can we try to get the rights to this and do a comic book adaptation? And I remember distinctly one of them said, well, you know, um, we don't really need that. We've already got Devil Dinosaur. So we've already got a dinosaur book. Or a dinosaur character. I'm like, oh, it's like what? So, <laughs> one of the draws for me to go to Tops was that Salakrup was already, I think, trying to get Jurassic Park, and he told me I could be the editor. Oh wow! And, wow. and, and I do quite love dinosaurs. Yeah, who does? So that was uh, quite a bone That's to awesome. throw at me, as you will. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Oh, Boom! My goodness! Yes, that's good. That's good. Big Tyrannosaurus uh, Rex bone. Um, and then I also started working on Hercules and Xena and yes. X Files, wow. and I forget. Oh, Zorro! I did the movie adaptation of Zorro. Oh, which that first movie was so good. Yeah, you know, I had Anthony Hopkins in that book. And later on, I, I worked with Anthony Hopkins on a movie, but that's a story for later. And um, Hannibal. Also worked no, with Red Dragon. Hannibal. Red Dragon, that's it. Mm. Yes, Red Dragon, yes. Mm. And Anthony Hopkins was such a hoot to work with. I truly adore that man. Um, and so I worked on Zorro. I worked on other media tie-ins like uh, Lone Ranger. I got to talk to Clayton Moore and... Uh, wow. They worked on um, the Dracula versus Zora. We did the Dracula movie adaptation, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> Is that the um, the Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves? Yeah, I mean, it's no, no. Oh, you know, no, I, Dracula was great. I was thinking Frankenstein. We also did the Frankenstein adaptation. Oh, the Kenneth Branagh one? Yes. Oh, the Robert De Niro. I haven't seen yes. that one. Kenneth Branagh, Robert De Niro. Eh. Yeah, Robert De Niro is Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've never heard of that. That's uh, crazy. Oh my god! I love, I love oh, yeah, I've got to check it out. I'm Stoker. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, no, it's it's got some very lovely visuals. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. I love all this stuff, man. Universal yeah. monster movies. I'm in it, man. I'm and ready. I love Gary Oldman as Dracula. I thought he so was good and sexy at the same oh, time. No, he was great. I was in it. I, I remember the, my yeah. my father and I. My dad showed me that movie on Laserdisc when we were, when I was a kid, and I loved loved Bram Stoker Dracula. I know people talk whatever, but I think it's a great movie. I think it's a killer movie. It. Yeah, I like I, I, mean, I love Gary Oldman in anything. He's yeah, all day. You know, he could he could fold laundry and make it interesting. I I'd mean, watch. I was like, oh my gosh, look at that technique. The man's focused. <laughs> now we're gonna he go live. Only forget he's he's just acting and not really folding laundry. <laughs> we're gonna go live to the secret camera we have in Gary Oldman's utility room, and we're gonna watch it. Um, that would be creepy. Let's not do that. I think we should start a series of interviews with people in like their laundry rooms or something. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm kidding. People There's have done a it. good idea. People I have know. done it. Well, James Corden goes and drives people around and interviews them. So, and we could yeah. call it In the Watch. <laughs> what are we doing? We are so, we are on fire today. Right. Okay. Let's, edit this, let's edit this bit out. I will while, save that idea. Yeah, for we'll longer. save that because I don't want yeah, anyone going. Let's, let's I don't go want to and give all the these good ideas away to the whole world. We no, need to no, save no, no, those no. for ourselves. No, we'll work on copyright. We'll do the whole thing. Yeah. We'll do it right. Yeah. 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 Good. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So in the and we get- <laughs> 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 Yeah. Seriously, edit that out. We'll use it later. <laughs> um, I have all kinds of good ideas. Uh, so yeah, I, I did. <laughs> So I did all those books over at Tops, and uh, one of the books I did there too was my creator on book a uh, book Spark Next yes. with Michael Golden, mm. and we started that at Tops, and um, then later when I left Tops, I reprinted it through Image as a packager because um, you know it was still my image to package it. So it did it did appear in print twice. And actually now Michael and I are working on the trade paperback to finish it. Because wow. the last issue was never done. So that's something fans can look forward to okay. in the next year or so. Um so I was at Tops. I'm trying to make this quick. I was at Tops. No, you go as long as you need. Yeah. And this there started to be another implosion in comic books around that time. And um, you could sort of see the writing on the wall with comics that a lot of comic shops were going out of business. They were over, publishers were oversaturated. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. That's okay. You're popular. Um, Publishers were oversaturating um, and and comic stores were buying too much. I mean, it was a big issue. I don't know if you Mm. remember all that, but stores started to go out of business. And Topps was deciding that um, they did not want to stay in the comic book business. Um, Around that same time, I went to Canada on a ski trip. I was in Banff and it was the last run of the day. That's when it always happens. Uh, But I was on a ski lift with someone that was not a a good skier. They had never skied before. And we're getting off the ski lift and she tripped me with her skis. And I slid down the slope and I'm laying there and I'm, I'm looking at my uh, legs and I'm going, you know, my legs are not supposed to go in that direction. Ah. <laughs> and felt no pain per se, but I looked like Gumby. And <laughs> and I, I still tried to stand up and still tried to walk and I couldn't stand up because I had severed my kneecap. So my oh. kneecap was floating in the middle of my thigh. Nope. 
Nope. You know, and that's all the detail I'll give there. But I had to go Thank to you. the hospital in Canada. I had to put my leg in a cast and um, get back to New York. And everything at Tops was kind of falling apart. I'm in a cast. I'm sitting in my little New York apartment and I get a phone call. This is it's it's amazing how things happen. Mm. But I get a phone call from this gentleman named Joel Goss, who lives in Los Angeles. I had met him through uh, some of my convention friends before, and he was friends with Eleanor Keaton, who was Buster Keaton's widow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, who I I'm a, was a huge and still am a huge Buster Keaton fan. Mm. But so is Jackie Chan. And you can look at Jackie's movies, especially Project A, some of the other movies, and you can see the heavy Buster influence. And he also recreates a lot of Buster Keaton stunts. Mm. And so Joel called me and he said, hey, Jackie's filming Rush Hour. And of course, I already knew Jackie because we were working on uh, Spartan X. And he said, hey, Jackie's in Los Angeles. He's filming Rush Hour. Eleanor would really like to meet him. Do you think you could set that up? And I said, you know, I think I think Jackie would really like that. So I contacted him. I said, Eleanor wants to meet you. He said, great. So within a day or two, I was on a plane, cast and all, crutches and all, uh, flying to L.A. And probably within a day, I was on the set of Rush Hour and, you know, hobbling around on my crutches you know, to introduce uh, Jackie and Eleanor. And that was so funny because... Jackie immediately comes up to me and he goes, what happened to you? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I had a skiing accident and I told him about it. He just shakes his head and he goes, and they say what I do is dangerous. <laughs> you know? awesome. And then he proceeded to steal my crutches every chance he got. So I oh. had no crutches and oh like use them to focus the camera. And <laughs> Oh, he's 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 hilarious. That's I love amazing. Jackie. Like Jackie, give me my crutches back. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's really funny. I, I love Jackie. Uh, I always remember, and I've told this before too. I mean, there's so many stories about him. I'll I'll put them in a book at some point. But when I was going to Hong Kong all the time um, before the changeover, I've only been there a few times since. Mm. But I would go over there and uh, work on the book hang out on movie sets. Jackie would always grab me and throw me in as an extra. So if you look close, oh, you can so see cool. a lot of Jackie Chan movies, especially crime stories. As, as if I have a very pivotal extra. <laughs> I have a very pivotal role in, in a crime story. Oh my um, God, yes. I, this is a perfect, uh, as if you ever needed one, excuse to go and sit down and do some Jackie Chan back catalog. It's been way too yep. long since I've seen any. And my oh, daughter's yes, never so seen many, any. She'd so many, so many good ones. Yeah, oh. so many great movies. But he would always tell these great jokes in Cantonese and then he would translate them for me. So one time I was there and I said, okay, Jackie, I'm going to go back to New York and I'm going to start taking Cantonese lessons so I can understand the jokes when you tell them. He goes, okay, fine. So I went back to New York, started taking Cantonese lessons, very rudimentary, like, um, you know, Chiso Haibindo, where's the bathroom? You know, just very rudimentary <laughs> stuff. No sit gong, guang dang gua, I speak Cantonese. Yeah, I, I speak that sentence. Um, so it's like very rudimentary stuff. And because Cantonese is very difficult, depending on where your inflection is, you can... Yes be saying dog or the number nine are something you don't want to say. So it's like gal, 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 totally different words. 
So it's like very difficult, but I enjoyed trying and I still remember a little bit of it. Uh, But I went back to Hong Kong and I said, okay, Jackie, you got to be careful now because I know some Cantonese. And he just like looks at me and punches me in the shoulder and says, I'll just speak Mandarin now. (laughs) (laughs) He got me again. I zig you zag. (laughs) Love it. Oh, there's some hilarious stories from rush hour too, because I did work on rush hour too. I'll just jump there really quick. Um, On rush hour too. Uh, I was a a production assistant, but I was really in charge of first team, which means I was in charge of Jackie and Chris and Brett Ratner was the director on that. Mm -hmm. And Jackie, the Lakers were in playoffs. So Chris was always late getting to set when the director would call Jackie would go to set. He'd be sitting there like, where's Chris, (laughs) you know, and we'd wait for Chris. Um, And Chris would eventually show up. Uh, because the Lakers would have like done something or the game was over. And um, so Jackie said, look, Renee, I'm tired of sitting on set. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. I want you to stake out Chris's trailer. And when he starts to walk, I want you to come and get me. And I will still get to set before him. (laughs) And I said, I said, okay, Jackie, yeah, let's give it a shot. So that happened. Brett called for the actors to come to set. I went there and I was like staking out Chris's trailer, waiting for him to walk. He came out. I ran, zigzagged, ran to Jackie's trailer. Jackie, he's walking. Jackie like ran out the door like like the Flash man. He goes back through the back, zigzagging through the trailers, back through the back door of the set, gets to a seat, sits down like this. Chris walks in. He's going, Chris. What took you so long? (laughs) 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 What a trip. I know. So anyway, from the, from when I went to the set of rush hour, uh, with the whole crutches and the focusing of the camera, um, I had already, I was not at tops anymore. I had enrolled in NYU film school and I met so many people on that trip. And they said, look, why don't you just come to LA and learn on the job? You know, you can start getting work immediately. Uh, and that's what I did. I uh, packed up my bag and I moved to Beverly and, uh, um, you know, and uh, started working on movies and commercials and music videos uh, immediately cool, and nice. did that nonstop, nonstop for about five years. Wow. And I mean, when I say nonstop, I mean like very few days in between productions. Mm. So you're working on a movie for six months that becomes your family. Those are the people, you know, and then that movie ends and it's like this separation anxiety. It's like, Oh my God, where's my family. And then you start your next production and they become your family. It's very much once again, kind of a carnival. Yeah. You're moving from job to job and hopefully you're networking and some of those people are the same, but you work very long hours. You work, you know, sometimes 18 hour days and sleep four hours at night and get up and do it all over again. It's not glamorous. I mean, it is very rewarding to see the product when it's done and know you had a part of it. And just like working at Marvel, you're working really hard. You're multitasking, um, but you're having a great time doing it. Yeah. And that's kind of like what film production was as well. It was very hard work, but I had a great time. Um, But then around, um, oh gosh, when was it? Um, I'd worked in film production for about five, six years. 
And I was completely out of comics. I was still running my little publishing company, Eva Eaton Publishing, and I was doing Zorro books and some other books um, and art portfolios. But otherwise, I was not doing shows. I was not going to conventions. Um, you know, and conventions didn't really exist then like they do now in the yeah, plethora yeah. of conventions that we have. But one of my friends, Bob Burton, who created The Flaming Carrot and Mystery Men, yeah. uh, said, hey, I'm uh, going to be... Yeah. He said, I'm going to be in San Diego. And he often stayed on my houseboat in in L.A. when he came um, because, you know, he called me and say, can I stay on your houseboat? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so he was going to San Diego and he said, why don't you come with me? And I said, OK. So I went to San Diego and it happened that one of his friends that was going to be there, too, was was Arthur Sudam. Yes. And I met Arthur there and um we became friends and he said, you know, I, I'm looking for an agent. Would you consider being my agent? And, um, you know, I said, yeah, you know, I could do that. And that ended up, that turned in to a full-time job because of course, Arthur is brilliant. And once we started um, going out and pitching him for work, the work started piling in. Mm. And one of the projects that he started was Marvel zombies. Yes. Yeah, baby took off and was uh, really, I, and, and, you know, I think this is verifiable that the success of that series is what got the walking dead on TV Mm. because Marvel zombies was so successful. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's by virtue, you know, in large part because of Arthur's covers, because he did every one of those covers was a, was a gem and he did multiple variants on multiple books. I, I lost track of how many books he did. Um, I got my headless surfer. I mean, it's an amazing, yeah, I remember that whole right? run. It was awesome. I know <laughs> every book, like we looked for a little bit of humor to put in there, sort of like an Easter egg for the fans. No, you did great. I mean, it reminded me yeah. of creepy. Like it reminded me yeah. of the old. Yeah. It reminded me of the good stuff. Yeah. It was awesome. Right. And Arthur was really, and sometimes still is one of the only ones that well, his style is so unique, but even with, with Charlie and Flytrap and Mudwogs, he was one of the first artists to bring sort of fine art painting along with Richard Corbin, you know, into comic books. Uh, so, you know, and now he's known not only for Marvel zombies, but you know, some walking dead work, a very, uh, very, you know, his run on Deadpool is what the Deadpool movies are based on. Um, you know, great deceased covers. I mean, there's just mm. his, he has just not stopped working in the last 20 years. He's like, if you look at how many covers he has done, it's amazing. So I started out repping Arthur and then uh, some of my other um, friends from the industry said, Hey, well, why don't you rep me too? Um, one of those was Michael Golden, who was, you know, was uh, the artist that I hired to do all my covers when I was an editor at Marvel and tops and um, you know, there's just a long list of people that I've worked with since and still continue to work with Mike sec, um, you know, just amazing creative people. Jim shooter is my client. I booked Jim into oh, wow. shows. Okay. Um, if really you haven't cool. had him on your show yet, you should. Cause he's, he's a great we interview. We've, we've got a list of people we'd love to talk to. That's as long yeah. as, <laughs> as, long so as it's uh... like it became so much mm-hmm. that, um, pretty much my life became consumed with being an agent and comics pulled me back in. Gotcha. Pulled me back and in. Uh, I don't regret it because it's been, it's been a heck of a lot of fun and no, I've been no, able to travel sounds... the world and curate art shows around the world. And 
um, work with people that I truly admire. And I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. I, I look back on it and go, Oh my gosh, has, it's just like the things, the places we've been able to go and the fans yeah. we've been able to meet and yeah. the projects we've been able to work on. I mean, I feel incredibly blessed and in, incredibly lucky. Yeah. To, no, I, I to have been pulled back in really. I'm, I'm, I find it fascinating that, that, that journey, that's, that's kind of, I'm glad you put that connecting tissue in there. So thank you for that. It was, I'm fascinated by the, what you do now and, and, and the fact that it takes you to all those different places and the fact that you get to work with and represent, um, all the, all those artists. We, um, obviously yeah, I'm repping, had- I'm repping actors now too. Oh, and yes, actors. yes. You mentioned, uh, I rep a, a lot of the people from aliens, including Mark Ralston, Rico Ross, Cynthia oh, Scott, oh, Daniel don't. Cash. Um, I love William those. Hope. I love those. Actors so so, so those are all my guys. <laughs> William Hope right. actually lives in the UK. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, we, um, uh, well, you'll know, of course, that, uh, a, um, upper deck who do the Marvel trading cards. Now they've, they've had the license since 2012, I want to say, um, they did an alien set. And of course it was mm-hmm. all, it was all sticker autos, but I've been fortunate enough to collect quite a few of those. So, oh, good. Know, um, and even though the actors didn't actually sign physically sign the card, that's, that's a cherished thing for me. Cause oh, they're all such nice guys. Yeah. They come across, so um, cool. I, I, I went on a bit of a journey with aliens last year of rediscovering it and going and watching loads of YouTube, uh, footage where they've been at cons or where they've been on podcasts. Cause there, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a whole long running podcast based out of the UK that does, um, that talks about the whole alien universe you know they talk to people from the games they talk to people from the alien predator movies and they've they've had quite a lot of the guys on um uh from the kind of uh, the Solarco uh brigade as i call them so yeah no that's that's fascinating that you that you rep those guys as well oh yeah and voice actors too even now i've segued into anime wow oh nice pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. At Boston Fan Expo, it's such a, a, a melting pot of that pop culture. You had people there from Smallville. You had people there who are anime voice artists. You had people, you had Kevin Smith and his crew there. You had uh, Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek Next Generation, who sure. I went off and had my photo with, and that was a proper so like, cool. bucket list moment. Isn't that great? Uh, for me. That's so, so crazy lovely. cool. He was so lovely. Um, Shows like that are a big yeah. melting pot of pop culture. Yeah. They and really it was are. great. It was great. I was kind of, it was bizarre. I said this to Noreen last week, because that, that exhibition center, you go down the escalator and you're coming, you're kind of descending into it. Um, and I was like, I was going down the escalator and just watching. I was like, ah, I'm with my people. Yeah. That's <laughs> These are my that's people. Feel. Yeah. yeah like they're, they're family. You just don't know them yet. Or they're friends and you just mm. don't know them yet. Because when you walk in that door, you already have a shorthand to yes. communicate with everybody yes. in that room. It's fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what what have you got next on your plate? Because when we spoke um, at the con, you mentioned an event that you've got coming up in New yes. York um, that, I, that sounds absolutely fascinating. Tell us about that, because this episode will be up with enough time for people to be able to kind of check it out if they're in the hood. Yes. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons I can't get on a plane and, and come to London for, for the Queen's funeral is because I'm putting together this gallery show. Oh. Plus, I, I, you know, 
you're already going to have like 500,000 people in the it's streets gonna be crazy. of London. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but oh my gosh. Um, but I am putting together a gallery show in Manhattan. Um, it opens October 5th, which is the day before the New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So anyone that lives in New York, uh, anyone that is coming in for the show, mm-hmm. I hope you will consider coming to this opening. It is going to be at the Francis Tavern Museum.org. Mm-hmm. And Francis is spelled with a U, F-R-A-U-N-C-E-S. This will all be in the show notes for people yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Francis Tavern, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Francis Tavern is the oldest tavern in New York, it pre-exists the Revolutionary War. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And everyone wow. dined there from, from Franklin to Washington to Jefferson to Hamilton and Burr. I mean, uh, Hamilton and Burr had were at a party together there two weeks before they tried to kill each other and mm. one of them succeeded. Yeah. Um, so it's that kind of place. And after the Revolutionary War, um, it's where office, it was where Washington had the farewell dinner with his officers and, you know, you know, said he was walking away from public life. But of course, they pulled him back in mm. um, and the room is still there. The room where it happened is still there. You can walk, wow. you can stand in it, you can look at it. It's it's just an amazing place. So I have loved that place for a long time because when I worked at Topps Comics, we were down on Whitehall Street, which is in Lower Manhattan. Yeah. And I could go to Francis Tavern for lunch. You know, I just hung out in, in that part of New York because, of course, back in uh, Revolutionary War times, Manhattan was extremely small and it really just was comprised of Lower Manhattan. Yeah. And that building has existed for all these years and is still in operation. You can still eat there. You can go to the museum on the second floor. But I was I always loved that place. But I started thinking because about eight months ago, I started thinking about how George Washington is portrayed in in pop culture. And one of my clients, uh, Mark Ralston, also played Judge Shippen in the TV series Turn as well as being in Aliens and Shawshank Redemption and all those other great movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I'm a big fan of Hamilton. I love Hamilton, the musical. I've seen it in London twice. And I actually actually think the London production is one of the best. Of course. Uh, And I I, I can't wait to see it again there. But I've seen it about eight times. So I would... I would venture to guess that I'm a big Hamilton fan. Uh-huh. <laughs> just a little, just, just a little just bit. A little bit. Uh, yeah. My nephew, Brennan uh, took me to that when we were in Chicago for a show one time and I had no idea what to expect. It's like Hamilton. Sure. Why not? And I loved it. I cried at the end of it. Mm. I mean, literally tears were because it was such an emotional experience. So well made. And the yeah. person playing Hamilton in that produ- production, his last name is Cervantes. He's currently playing Hamilton and Broadway, but the Chicago theater was so intimate, sort of like London theaters, Mm. where you feel like you were just right there on the stage with the actors and you have this very strong connection with them. And you almost feel like they are talking to you because of the way the theaters are set up. Unlike a lot of the Broadway shows where you feel like you're a football field away in London and in Chicago, you are right there. Yeah. And it hits you like it hits you like a brick at the end. Uh, and it, it's just like it was it, it left such a profound impression on me that it it planted the seed in my brain. And that's the way a lot of my books start is 
I'll see something and I'll say, that's a book. That's an idea. I got to do that. Uh, my Nick Hardy, the artist at War Books, started that way. When I was at Nick's house in Florida, he started showing me these sketches that he did during World War II. And I was wow. going, Nick, you got to do a book on this. And he's like, well, do you think anyone would want to read it? And I said, look, I want to read it. If I want to read it, other people are going to want yeah. to read it. And so we did right. the book, Nick Hardy, The Artist at War, which was published in the United States, but it was also published by Titan Books in, in the UK. Mm. Um, wow. So, you know, you guys can probably find that book. But that's the way this current project started. And I will get to the point. Um, I started thinking about how George Washington was per- portrayed in pop culture. And and, uh, Michael Golden said, well, you know, Batman also has ties to the Revolutionary War. And I go, really? Maybe there's some connection here. And I started researching it and I found several, you know, I found 100 appearances of Washington in comic books. I kept researching. I found 500 appearances of Washington in comic books. I kept researching it more. And I am not kidding you. There are probably a thousand or more appearances of George Washington just in American, in United States comic books, not even talking about uh, sequential art in the UK and elsewhere, because he was a character in in books there too, Mm. art, historical uh, sequential art. So I was going, wow, I've got to write a book on this. And so I started to write the book. Uh, At the same time, I was asked to be on the arts committee for the Francis Tavern Museum. And I said, you know, guys, I'm writing this book. It's like, why don't you you know, do you think I could do a gallery show Um, like I needed to do more work? And, you know, (laughs) I guess I needed to do more work. And they go, wow, this is an amazing idea. So the, the it's run by the Sons of the American Revolution. And in the state of New York. And they said, yes, we would love for you to do it. So then I started putting together a gallery show and the, it is almost done. I it is almost done. It's, and it's like we are going to have tons of rare comic books um, starting from the 1920s to the present. Wow. Um, we are going to have original art by Michael Golden, Graham Nolan, George Perez, George Evans, mm-hmm. great illustrator from, uh, you know, the 60s. And also we have some original paintings um, by Daniel Scott Jr. And one of the focal points of the show is also this wonderful um, George Washington painting by Arthur Sudan, um, where he really gives it a pop culture feel, which ties into the whole theme of the show um, and uses his fine art painting techniques. And of course, Arthur comes from a long line of New York artists and Hudson River painters. So he already has a very strong tie to New York, but his painting is fantastic. It's called Through His Eyes and it's going to be one of the focal points of the exhibit. Uh, And then we also have Daniel Scott Jr. who's doing an original uh, uh, illustrate what well, it's a it's a mixed media piece and i don't know how to explain this to you guys but it is a portrait of george washington made with candy wrappers i kid you not uh, wow and it will blow your mind both wow. that piece and arthur's piece will just blow your mind daniel actually takes candy wrappers from like tootsie pops and other types of candy Mm -hmm. and cuts them up and uses them as sort of a mosaic to make this piece. Yeah. 
And we are going to have a video of the piece from start to finish, a sped up video so you can see the creation. Oh, I love it. Love it. That's and so cool. we're also going to have VR sets, uh, virtual reality sets at the opening on October 5th. So you can actually go into a virtual um, incarnation of this gallery and see even additional material. So the opening, here's the name of the exhibit is George Washington. I mean, sorry, let me start over. Cloaked Crusader, George Washington in comics and pop culture. Ah, oh, that's a good and, one. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. It, and um, basically what we do is we're going through just what pop culture is, sort of what we've been discussing in this interview so far, mm-hmm. um, this melting pot of different things that all come together to give us this shorthand that helps us, you know, that, that makes us feel like we know people. It's like the the pop culture of George Washington started even when he was still alive. Uh, you know, if you put a, a, a painting of George Washington on your tavern sign, that conveyed so much to people that were just walking down the street and would see your tavern sign. Um, his image has been used as a shorthand and a metaphor ever since to convey an idea or a story or a metaphor, uh, you know, as a shorthand for what people are trying to tell in that story. So the comic book representations of him started out as historical events. Wow. And so you would see sequential art in comics, you know, classics illustrated yeah. and other books that would just talk about historical events. And then it segued into that wasn't good enough. Let's like bring George Washington to the present. You know, let's go back in time and pluck him from 1778 wow. or whatever and bring him to 1945 so he can help us with this problem. And those stories are really funny because you have characters like Kid Eternity bringing Washington to the present. And it's not like the older Washington that you see on the dollar bill. It's like this buff and really in shape George <laughs> with this, you know, sleeves rolled up and he's punching out gangsters in the 1940s. <laughs> so it's like those are hilarious and it's like yeah george was was really cool and uh <laughs> then you then you then you go to uh those wonderful dc travel i mean uh, time travel stories uh mm-hmm. and they were constantly popping back in time superboy supergirl bizarro crypto yeah. Um, Superman went back in time in Superman 48 to win an autograph contest for a little kid that was in the hospital. And one of the autographs he got was George Washington's autograph is like, hello, oh, sir. I have your George Washington. Um, so, you know, and it's just like, apparently these superheroes could just dart through time just because they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, they didn't even need a time machine or anything. It's just like, Let's go. Let's super power, super speed back to 1776. Um, And it's like even uh, crypto. Here's the funny thing is most of them had a very distinct desire to help Washington cross the Delaware. So they all go back in time to somehow enable his crossing of the Delaware without him being aware of it. And one of the Mm. stories that I thought was really funny was 
uh, crypto goes back in time and sees this big iceberg that Washington is about to hit like it's the Titanic. And he uses his super his super X-ray eyes or whatever they are to blow the iceberg to smithereens right before Washington is going to hit it and sink. And, and the British would have won the war, obviously. Well, we were all obviously. British. Then, but uh, King George, the you know, would have won the war. Hmm. So... <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> and I would have been a British subject and had a British accent. Now, now we're back to royalty. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I love all things British anyway. So it's, it's, I, I feel like I'm, I'm still part British anyway. So um, anyway, so there are all these time travel stories where there's, they're just jotting back through time. And those are really fun to look at. Uh, and then we do a little segment on Batman and his and uh, his ties to the Revolutionary War and even how people like Graham Nolan uh, used a lot of co- uh, uniforms from that era in Hawkworld. And uh, we also segue into Marvel's first appearances of George Washington, which they were kind of slow on the uptake. Mm-hmm. DC was on this a lot sooner than they were. Uh, wow. You know, George just was in... Uh, flashbacks mostly in books like blonde phantom number one which was written by stan lee uh Mm. and that was probably the first appearance of washington in marvel comics but it was a a a flashback and then he later on appeared in fantastic four and you know some of the other marvel books i think uh the human torch and johnny storm uh go back in time to break break washington out of jail uh you know it's and, and there's like, you know, well, you must tell me you know, where you guys are from and how did this, how, you know, it's like, why is your dress so strange or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, General Washington, we really feel it's, it's, it's best that we not tell you any more than you need to know. You know, it's just like, <laughs> so George goes through the West, rest of his life wondering who this this man is that can turn into flame, but it's <laughs> and never tells any of the rest of us about it. Um, yeah, you, know, you, you have time travel stories in Star Trek, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that 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 episode. Of, I mean, that issue. I call it an episode because I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Mm, um, that, that issue is Star Trek number nine. Yeah, I don't geek out too much. But when I met William Shatner, I, I kind of geeked out because uh, yeah. he told me I looked pretty. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I just melted. Like, <laughs> that was it. That's all I, I needed. I melted like an ice cube. I'm like, well, thank you, William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to you yeah, because he was a part of my childhood. Yeah, I write about yeah. that on my blog. There's, um, I wrote a, a post when uh, Leonard Nimoy passed away, which. Mm. Uh, you can find it on my blog, um, you know, and of course I met Nichelle Nichols too one time and she was just lovely. So that was a big part of my childhood. Mm. Just like you're talking about meeting these people that were part of your childhood. Mm. There is something very special about that. Huge. Yeah. Huge yeah. But Star sure. Trek number nine is a great um, time travel story. It's not a time travel story. No, it is not a time travel story. It is a completely different type of story featuring George Washington, gotcha. but also Abraham Lincoln and Napoleon. Mm. So you can find that. I have to that. check it out. Yeah, that was really cool. And then we also, even Archie Comics tra- uh, travel back in time mm-hmm. to interact wow. with Washington. So you have Archie and Jughead going back in time, but they have no superpowers, you say. So how could this be possible? <laughs> Most of the time it happened 
by Archie doing something stupid like getting hit on the head. And then all of a sudden he wakes up in, in 1776. Classic. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure he really does too much except be a witness to history. I have to mm. read more of those stories, but they're still very charming. And you have Archie standing around a lot going, oh, gee whiz. <laughs> There's George Washington. Uh, An in-depth analysis. analysis yeah, I know. And he gets hit on the head <laughs> and goes back in time, I think, in Archie number 36 from the 1940s. And um, he has to write a paper for his history class. Miss Grundy's like makes him go to the library and he gets hit on the head by a bust of somebody. And uh, he wakes up and, and um, is somehow interacting with Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln and, and George Washington. And, and they're like, <laughs> well, Archie, do you think you can go back and write that paper now? And like, yeah, guys, thank you so much. And it's just, but they're very charming. So you have all of these really fun stories and beautiful artwork by people over a hundred years of books. Wow. And we do a little segment on the bicentennial too, because of course in the United States, mm. there was a bicentennial fever that took over. Yeah. Um, and it was just, there was bicentennial everywhere. And a lot of people don't also remember, but the, the night, of course we weren't alive, but the 1939 world's fair in New York was also very Washington centric oh, interesting. Because, wow. because it was the 150th anniversary of his inauguration and the King and queen of England came over for that. So, you know, it's just like, he's been a part of our pop culture for a long time. Mm. Uh, I, I even have a segment for my friends in the UK. I have a segment on how George Washington was portrayed in, in English publications. And I have wow. some original art from look and learn magazine and some other books that were published in the UK. Cool. And there's a whole wall on, on George Washington uh, in the United Kingdom in sequential art. Oh, wow. And and I also talk about the co close connection between our two countries, how um, even though, you know, during the Revolutionary War, we were one group of British subjects fighting another group of British subjects. Um, we we have this commonality mm. and this thread that has connected us through all these years. And um, we are still very much. Um, two sides of the same coin. And one of the things that connects us in a very strong way is our shared pop culture. Um, and, and these, these ideals that we have taken with us down through the years. So I, I do talk about that special connection between our countries. Um, and I just, I, I am, I love the exhibit. I think it's a lot of fun on October 5th. We are going to have an opening from six to eight at okay. the tavern. There is a small admission, but with the admission you, that benefits this historic museum, you have an open bar, you have hors d'oeuvres, you get a free signed print by either Michael Golden or Arthur Sedan. Um, wow. We're having a silent auction and Jim Shooter is going to be there. Oh, cool. As, and also Arthur oh. Sedan and Michael Golden. And Jim Shooter will be giving the opening remarks. Wow. So that will open up the, the whole thing. And um, just go to the website, sign up for the event. If you're so inclined, we are also having a fundraising dinner. 
from eight to 10, which is a different price, but that price also includes the opening. And you also get an additional signed print. You get a goodie bag with it, with a signed comic book in it. And, you know, just all kinds of fun stuff. I may even ask some trivia questions. You never know. I really love it. You have me at open bar. Quite uh, open bar. I was kind of there. Um, I'll be I'll be booking my ticket now. Um, so so where um, so it starts from fifth. How long is it running for? Because fifth October. Well, it's going to run at least for two years um, because oh, cool. it's the lead okay. up for the two hundred and fiftieth anniversary. Gotcha. But right, of, okay. of the United States. But of mm. course, the opening night to get all this free and not free, but value for your money. All this great say. stuff. Uh, is October fifth. Cool. Okay. And, and I will be there, and and you can talk to me as well. And well, we there's can, no we can, other reason. That'd be like, awesome. No more stories. So no one's going to be in town. <laughs> I love it. No one will be. I'm going to be in. I'm actually going to go to New York Comic Con. Oh, will you so please come to the opening? I will. I will go. I'm going to check my flight. I don't know if I'm flying in on the sixth or the fifth, but I am 100. percent If I'm there, I'm coming. I'm yes, actually really do. excited. Okay. I really. I, I'm really excited. Oh, I hope you will. And, and I will be an artist alley at New York Comic Con as well. I'll be at my. You'll see me there for sure. Yeah. Okay. You'll see me there for sure. Because, you know, are you repping your new employee? My new gig. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to be there with CGC Trading Cards. Oh, so nice. we, yeah, we're going to be having our signing with Todd McFarlane for trading cards and comic books. So it'd be really cool to be by him. We're going to do some box openings there. There's actually yeah. a bunch of stuff I'm trying to put on for yeah. our, our Marvel card buddies. Um, so hopefully that can happen, but I'm going to be making the rounds. So I will be. Yeah. Michael Golden has okay. done a lot of trading cards and yes. you know, there are Arthur Saddam trading cards out there too. Oh yeah. Well, and they're Arthur, amazing. Arthur had at least yeah, one sure I'll piece. Be seeing you. Oh, you will. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur had at least one piece in Upper Deck. Did their their first Marvel sets were two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. They they resurrected Marvel masterpieces. Sure. Um, and I don't. And most of it was art that had been taken from trading card games at the time. Um, yeah. uh, versus, versus system. system. Well, versus um, Arthur did a lot of versus cards. Yes, and He's so amazing. some of his art. Mm, yeah. So yeah. some of his art and some of Michael's art are in the 0708 sets. Yes. Um, because I, I I I run um, I set up two groups and one of them focuses on Marvel masterpieces. So I've got an Instagram where I do a daily masterpiece card. So I feature a different card from any of the eleven sets. Oh, nice! Every day, and I've, okay. I've, I've, it's on hiatus at the moment because I I just had to take a break because I've been doing it for like four years. You've been doing it um, for a long time. Yeah. If you guys ever want to interview Arthur, I'm sure we could get him. On. I would absolutely. I would. That I would be a dream I would come true. Love to be listen. Awesome. I, I would, Listen, it's been absolutely delightful to talk to you. Um, we need to wrap up, not not least of which because I've got to go and cook <laughs> dinner for my family. What are you going to cook? Uh, I'm going to, this evening. I'm doing whole wheat fazili with uh, green pesto, uh, calamata olives, and feta cheese crumbled over the top. And oh, that absolutely good. delicious. Um, oh, and our daughter loves it as well. So it's something we can all eat because she's quite fancy. Um, <laughs> and mummy um, and daddy will be having a nice glass of red wine with it. My daughter will probably have Oh, how nice. How lovely. So, yeah, it's going to have breakfast and more coffee because uh, it's like coffee. morning. Well, now it's 11.24 here. Well, it'd be brunch. Yeah, brunch. So I'm about, brunch. To, I'm about to go have some lunch with the wife for sure. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> but are you definitely. No. No, because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I am lucky she keeps me around. I can be very honest about that. I'm very, very, very lucky. Very nice. 
Oh, you're very you're very kind. I appreciate oh. it. Well, you'll you'll be able to talk about um, foodstuffs when you meet at New York Comic Con. I'm, I'm oh, so I know. excited. See, I just I just I just don't want it to end, so I keep making excuses. No, no, I know, I, I know, no, no, nor do I, right. nor do I. But I, I, thank you guys for asking me to be on. You're very show. welcome. So, so Jim, thank Renee, you. Before 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 we um, obviously don't don't jump off as soon as we stop the recording because I wanted to ask you something. Okay. Off air, but. Um, where uh, what's your website where can people go to find you online we'll put the link on the tasting notes but all right. do feel free to tell people sure well first of all francis tavern museum.org please go there sign up for the opening remember francis has a u in it mm-hmm. it's in lower manhattan october 5th is the party uh you can reach me personally i have um two i have several accounts on facebook um eva inc artist group um eva inc publishing Pros and cons, celebrity booking, happyspacepop.com is uh, the website where I have a lot of my celebrities. Wow. Um, you uh, you can, if, uh, let's see what else. Um, Eva Inc. Publishing.com, Eva Inc. Artist Group.com, R. Witterstatter on Twitter, uh, Eva Inc. Renee on Instagram. Wow. You're everywhere. Yeah. This is fabulous. Yeah. That's amazing. If, wow. if you're if you are a convention promoter and you want to book any of the artists, mm. um, actors, voice actors, please do reach out to me. Mm. Uh, you know we are actively booking 2023 now, and um, you know I would love to to book some talent and come to a show near you. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> That's I awesome. Know. Especially in the UK, I want to get to the UK. Yeah. Oh well, listen. Come over, and then I, I will, I will take you for uh, beers. Um, I was going to say a lot of our listeners will probably be very interested um, because a lot of them do collect. uh, They collect original art from the from the sets that we used to make the cards. They collect sketch cards because sketch cards are a huge thing in Marvel cards um, for for these days. These days, I can sound like a newfangled thing. Sketch cards been around. Since ninety seven, <laughs> um, and I remember when I was a young man, we didn't have sketch cards. <laughs> now we have them bloody everywhere. Um, but, bloody, um, <laughs> bloody everywhere, bloody everywhere. Um, but um, a lot of our a lot of our uh, listeners will will yeah, be people who like to commission stuff. So I'm sure they will be checking out the site. And okay, wonderful. Yeah, for stuff. Um, Rene, thank you so much for making time for us and being so lovely. And um, I wish you all the best with the George Washington. Um, exhibit an opening and yeah thank you uh for all the work you've done at, at marvel and yeah thank you so much thank you so guys much. and and i just want to say that the george washington exhibit you have to think of it as a, a celebration of pop culture mm. too and the things that unite us and not you know instead of the things that divide us so that's my goal with this exhibit there's something it. there for everyone yeah lord knows um, you know it's a little bit of history yes. a lot of comics and in in even more fun so i mean i i do hope that people will come out and and I, once again thank you so much for, oh, for having you're me very on welcome. uh renee thank you so much uh, as we mentioned at the top we always like to ask our guests to sign us off in a particular way and this is this is the point where you wish you'd written it down even though it's only two words so let's see how this is going to go Renee how 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 would you like to take our listeners out this week hey guys everybody listening out here I have two words for you enjoy collecting thanks for listening to the Marvel Card Collectors podcast 
visuals and tasting notes for each episode can be found on our Facebook page. You can subscribe and leave us a voicemail via our home on anchor.fm forward slash mtcp. We're also on iTunes, Spotify and all major podcast platforms. Please take a second to subscribe, like and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Our podcast can be found by Googling at the MCC pod, which will also find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Our Facebook community is at MCCW, Marvel Card Collectors Worldwide, and MMC, Marvel Masterpieces Collectors. The great music we use is called Rocket Power by Kevin McLeod. Thanks to the collectors, artists, and creators who support the Marvel Cards Fan Collective. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's a small hobby, but a fun one. Make mine marvel and enjoy collecting.